All right, that is correct. Welcome back to Comics Exchange, your friendly neighborhood podcast. I'm yours truly, Mike D. To my left, we have the rowdy Ryan Shipley. Rowdy, yeah. Okay, I like that. That's right. To my right, as usual, we have the owner of Knoxville's longest-running comic shop, one Mr. Bill Langford. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for inviting me. Also rowdy. Also yeah, rowdy, well, rowdy, yeah. yeah. I won't have my own nickname. <laughs> also, yeah. Bashful? Well, kind of. I guess, maybe. <laughs> if we're going for dwarf names. <laughs> Man, that girl that's playing Snow White in the new movie, yeah, she is getting a lot of hate right now. Not because of her herself, but uh-huh. every interview she's done has basically been about how much she hates Snow White. Oh, no. <laughs> it's hysterical. Well, now I'm going to rename you the Rude Ryan Shipley because you interrupted the introduction and we didn't even get to introduce Mr. Pretty Paul Lewis. Oh, Paul, yeah. Paul Lewis. Paul. <laughs> back again. Yep. Guess who's back? Shady's second back. time. Tell a friend. <laughs> Let me call somebody. Hang on a second. <laughs> Tell all your friends, Ron. Mom, yeah. yes, uh, I love yeah, you. Uh, Gold to be here again. Thanks also, for Paul's the invitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh, not only are you here your second time being the second of our guests that have is had he, a repeat. Is he in the two-timers club? He's in the two-timers club. <laughs> That's a terrible Once you get the five-time. <laughs> yeah, two-timers sounds like Do real. I get the blazer at five You get the blazer times? at five. Five, okay. you get the blazer. Yeah. Um, but this is also our one-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. To the day, uh, this episode's going to come out tomorrow, which I believe is the 16th. <clears throat> do the and math, Shipley. No, I don't right? do math. <laughs> I've already told you when you when you brought me on. Don't ask me to do math, sir. This is our 26th episode, correct? 26th episode. And we do one every two weeks. We do one every two weeks. I get the I download the episodes off a of podcast addict. Said the first episode uh, was posted uh, August 16, thousand and twenty two. So it does not oh, feel so like that. It does not feel like it that. doesn't feel like a year. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I, we definitely need to do at some point a best of show. Ooh, yes, then, and then maybe a clip Ooh, show, right? Like some kind of a clip show. Um, but yeah, first anniversary here is the first yeah. anniversary paper. In for weddings. For weddings, it's yeah, paper. Yeah. For uh, are we getting well, married I mean, to each other? I didn't know. Yes. For podcast, I, mean, I think podcasts have a different. You're effectively currency. married. You're, you're yeah, married yeah, yeah. on the air. Uh, right. One thing uh, we will be having, uh, I'll post it on socials probably on Thursday or Friday. We're going to have, I think, some giveaways. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. We are. So, uh, what are you guys thinking about these prizes for our wonderful anniversary? Well, so we had a, a conference, a, a high-level meeting, and we decided that for <laughs> first place. And we also had this conference well, way before we started recording this episode. <laughs> yes. So do we, do we want to announce from third place up or first place down? Let's do third place. Third place up. Because third place is crazy. Third good. place. I'm telling you, most people would consider third place to be the first place for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I'm yeah. going to be 100% honest with you. Yep. It's, uh, it's the complete... Entire, yeah, all episodes. still shrink wrapped. Yep. Every episode of season seven of Roseanne. Yes, ABC Woo. Super Smash Hit Roseanne. Our friend Tyler Russell, yeah, donated this, and we we wanted to keep it. Right, we right. so wanted to keep season seven sealed. Roseanne. Every episode known to man. But, season seven, and it came from a San Diego Comic Con. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Still got that smell. Strange, um, strangely ooh. enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's third place. So third place. You uh, have, and also if you win it, you have to take it. Yeah, there is no take backs on this. <laughs> yeah. We're not playing uh, Dirty Santa. We can swap gifts. Nope. This is your monkey paw. You have this for the rest of your life. And if yes. I see it at McKay's, there's gonna be there's gonna be <laughs> I'm a price gonna to be pay. Hurt. I'm gonna be yeah, my feelings will be hurt. We're signing it too, by the way. <clears throat> Just to make it so the trade value goes down. Yeah. Uh, second place. 
um, we have decided it's going to be a $26 gift card. And the reason it's $26 is because... I can't do math. I pointed at you, Ron. Oh, tw- our, it's our 26th episode. Thank yeah. you. Thank our one-year anniversary uh, $26 uh, gift card that can be used anytime at the store. Yeah. And yeah. then... Uh, and it doesn't expire, right? <laughs> I guess if you twist my arm. All right, Ron. All right. All right. All right. All right. No expiration date. And then first place for some lucky winner, we have, uh, actually, this is a two-pack gift. Ooh. Yeah. We have Amazing Spider-Man number one signed by Ron Otley. This was the volume seven? I think oh. so. It's the 2018. Track. Yeah, it began the Nick Spencer run. Yes. Yep, the, yeah. So Spider-Man series seven, Roseanne chapter seven. Yes. Oh. Season seven. There I we go. Yeah. I see what's happening here. This is synchronicity. <laughs> So this was, uh, I think, when he came in from this past free comic book day, we had Ron. We already got people driving in the t- <laughs> signed up. Yeah, we had uh, we had Ron sign some books for us very generously, um, and then to go along with that, if that's not enough, uh, Ron also um, gave us some of his his new hardback, The Art of Ron Otley: Violence and Pigtails. Yeah, do um, not show that to kids. No, this is pretty bloody. This <laughs> yeah. is on the. This is definitely more on the invincible side. But if you're a fan of his art, uh, it's it's a great collection of different covers, pinups, sketches that he's done over the years. And uh, uh, speaking of Invincible, season two is about to come out, so it's also timely. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and just a, as, as a gentleman, he's just a, a phenomenal. He uh, was really awesome. He's like a, yeah. Mm-hmm. He was phenom- He was great. Yeah. So anyway, those will be our three prizes. We'll post it up Thursday, or Friday of this week, and we'll announce the winners on our 27th episode. Boom. How do we? How do they win? Did we discuss that? We. We'll we'll discuss it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna convene. We a, are a well-oiled machine. One gonna, year into this, we're gonna convene another high-powered meeting. <laughs> yes. Definitely not during the episode. Right. No. No. Of yeah. course not. We're not yeah. rookies. But no, we just wanted to say thank you uh, for for, for being and, yeah listening. Yeah. We're um. It's one of those things that's really cool. It's like we're year in now, twenty-six episodes, and it's building. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, people are going back now, you said, Mike, and yeah, they're, just and they're starting that. Our, our, from the beginning of the catalog. Yeah, looking looking back on it, uh, p- people are definitely going back from the start, which I, I'm kind of, I don't say nervous about, but I haven't gone back and listened to those first episodes again from a year ago. Maybe I'll do that. But anyway, I, I definitely appreciate anybody going back and uh, checking those out, seeing what we were about to start with, and sticking with us while we grow and uh, and get our feet under us. We've definitely yep. gotten better. Mm. Oh, definitely. It's, uh, it's kind of a lot better, yeah. That sounds negative. <laughs> I'm not saying it's no, oh, no, no. It was horrible at first. No. Well, we've 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 kind of grown into it, and mm. you know, much like you, you kind of find your voice, and yep. uh, Ron's gotten a lot better at looking stuff up over the oh, yeah. over yeah. the year. And also, my voice is better this week. Yeah, yeah. There for a while, you were kind of sketchy there. Man, going through. Puberty I liked it though. You had that kind of blues voice. <laughs> going through puberty at age 47 is kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. What's in the news, Mike? There's a, there's a few scant things here and about. We, okay. uh, we're a little selected this week. We've got a lot to cover on this show, so we're trying to narrow it down a little bit. Uh, one of my favorite franchises, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, seems to be meeting with a huge amount of success on this new reboot, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, and not just the reboot, but they said overall like how well the reboot is done and as well as, like I guess, the retail sales or like, uh, the toys and everything. Yes. It's already hit a billion dollars for the year. Isn't that insane? That's crazy. Yeah, it's really Off of crazy. a black and white comic with a 3,000 issue print run. Is it the most successful 1980s franchise today? Is it more successful than G.I. Joe or Transformers? I'd say it's definitely more successful than like Ghostbusters or He-Man hmm. for this year. 
so when you say franchise, you mean like franchise based off any franchise, franchise based from off a comic 80s. book? I'm thinking Fran- like franchise from the 80s, like mainly like toys and stuff like that. I wouldn't say like comic books, but uh, for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to cross a billion dollars and retail sales uh, in August of 2023. Yeah. That's a little crazy. Okay, let's compare that. The yeah. recent Transformers movie that came out, Rise of the Beast, which I actually kind of liked, yeah. uh, they did not get anywhere near a billion dollars in sales of merchandise. So to answer your, your yeah. question, I, I think that the Turtles have had more sustained long-term success across the whole time, whereas G.I. Joe and Transformers will spike here and there, mm-hmm. like G.I. Joe's kind of spiking right now with the right. fans. But Turtles, they've kind of held fast the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of, I mean, you never know what's going to take in the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's curious that, you know, these four mutant turtles named after Renaissance artists who, you know, fight crime and mutants with a variety of weapons are like one of the things that's stayed in the public consciousness for 30 plus years in any significant way. They've done a good job of rebooting it and keeping it fresh, I think, with different generations. Yeah. How does the book do here? Phenomenal. It's uh, back issues are hard to keep in stock. New issues, I sell probably close upwards of 20 to 25 of each one. Wow. Okay. Um, and then if they do a, a crossover where it's like Turtles Usagi, you know, that, that sells well also. So, and it, it is just that it's generational now. You've had an entire generation that's come and gone and with Turtles, and then a new generation that's kind of got introduced through the cartoons, and now a third generation that may get introduced through the movies, this newest, uh, latest movie. So, it's it's really kind of remarkable because Turtle started off as an adult book. It wasn't yeah. intended for kids. No, and the uh, parody at that. Yes, um, you know, Stick was. Uh, I'm sorry, Splinter was basically <laughs> Stick from Daredevil. Yeah, and uh, Casey Jones was Punisher. Yeah, it was kind of like the Punisher, oh, and yeah. instead of the the hand, you had the foot. Yep, and um, it was, Teenage Mutants, of course, X Men. Yeah, yeah, and so it was it was very heavily just kind of derivative of of pre existing properties. But it was the right combination. You just had a anthrop- anthropomorphics were taken off, where it's, you know animals that act and, and like people and talk like Street people. Sharks and uh, uh, fish yeah. police. Yeah, <laughs> fish police. but I think too like um, parents passing it down to their kids too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it's crazy because there was a fallow period for turtles where I think it was after the second movie, The Secret of the Ooze, yes. when uh, at the end of the movie they dance on stage yeah. with Vanilla go Ice, ninja, go yep. ninja, yeah, with go. the Go Ninja. <laughs> and and for the most people that were in the cultural zeitgeist, that was the death of the turtles. People were like, well, that's Never the mind. jump, the yep. little jump, the turtle yep. moment. And uh, but. Uh, it, yeah, it, revitalize itself it, in the 2000s. Correct. Yeah. And then I tell you what really helped too was IDW got the license and they started doing the comics and they treated it very seriously. Yes, yes. Uh, and you probably agree that a lot of people would say that's their favorite version of the Turtles. It kind of encaptures like all of the different versions and kind Even of. Even more so. Them. Yeah, but you're right, Mike, because it also builds on the Eastman Lair Turtles mm. and. Um, and it wasn't done like the Archie period where it was kind of toned down for kids. It, it brought it back to a more mature level. And Nickelodeon did a, a Turtles cartoon. I don't know if it's the middle of the aughts. My, I got it for my nephew, and I watched a little bit of with him. Yeah. And it was quality. So. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. And you just give something enough time, and, and uh, all of a sudden people get kind of roman- they romanticize that period of their life, and they want to go back. And, you know. and the new movie is great. That's what I've heard. I've heard uh, nothing but good stuff. The animation style is done. It almost kind of looks like a cart, like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, animation style is really good. Like the voice acting is um, insane. Jackie Chan, Ice Cube. It's really good uh, cast for it. Yeah. I've seen it now twice. I saw it with my nephew and niece, and then again with another friend. It, it, it's a good movie. 
I think they're also benefiting from Spider-Verse's success, you know, bringing animation more to the public eye, letting people treat it as something that's serious. That can't hurt. Yeah, yeah and, and different. It's not like a Disney style. Like I think right, Spider-Verse, right. the stylistic playfulness of Spider-Verse allowed, you know, Turtles to say, okay, let's do it this way. Yeah. Not a conventional animated style, but yeah. still interesting and unique. Spider-Verse made that possible. Yeah, yeah. so the, the numbers must be strong. Well, according yeah. to the sales of merchandise you're talking about, the one billion, I can back that up a little bit. You know, I'm constantly on patrol for toys, Target, yes. Walmart, someplace looking, and those first few waves of toys have sold out. I mean, they're they're cleared off the racks. So yeah. I, I haven't got any myself, but I pay attention. I look at things. You know, they're they're gone. So, the Funko set of the four from Mutant Mayhem are a upwards of like a hundred dollars. Whoa! Like I was talking to Sid about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's amazing. A billion dollars. Wow. Wow. That's cool. It that is. is cool. You know what's cool? Go Ninja Go. Yeah. Go Ninja Go's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's not. That's our, that's our, <laughs> that's that's our ending talk. song tonight, isn't it? Yes, yeah, sir, it is. But yeah. I'll tell you what, I've been kind of uh, jacked up and hyped up on the X-Men lately for obvious in-shop reasons. Uh, a couple of news tidbits there. Tom Brevoort mm-hmm. going to be overseeing the, uh, the X-Men franchise moving over from Avengers. He obviously oversaw that on the comic side during a lot of this Marvel cinematic uh, success. Uh, and now, uh, as Ryan mentioned earlier, there's some reports coming out that they're moving him over to X-Men. So it would appear they that moved him over. Moved, you're yeah. right. It was. His yeah. If you look the at the, uh, the he's now listed in the credits, uh, which is kind of interesting because they just started the fall of X. Mm, brutal. Yeah. And the editor in chief there, I thought was doing a good job on the X-Men books. It's not a job I would envy. That's a lot to keep up with. It is. Well, it might just be a case of they're coming to a natural point of change. So let's get a new voice in. But the scuttlebutt is that uh, obviously they're going to be bringing the X-Men back to the forefront of the Marvel comics and really focusing on them. And that makes sense with the Avengers kind of falling back a little bit. Obviously, the X-Men will be coming up in the movie. So I could definitely see that synergy matching up. But it is weird for them to switch horses like while Jordan White had started fall of x because he was the editor up until this week on the x-men books well i think they had a a loose plan in place when hickman took over um i think the book started to sprawl a little bit and it kind of delayed it but i I know they've got a full plan from beginning to end with this whole arc which is not even over yet so yeah and uh tom did say you know like uh he's coming in in the middle of this uh uh this massive story that they're in the middle of and that'll run its course for a long while so I think he was letting people know, hey, okay. we're slowing up the story, you know, go through. But I wonder if at the end of it, if stuff is just going to get reset to, like, they got the mansion again. They're playing baseball. It's hard to say. Um, I love the softball games. I do, too. Yes. Yes. Just kinda, I'm kind of curious. Now, in the, in the Facebook post where he announced that he was doing this, Eric Larson, <laughs> uh, comics bad boy, uh, did come in here and said, please, for the love of God, ditch the mixed case lettering. It's so hideous. And I was like, what? Wait, what? And then if you look in the X-Men books, it's not all capital letters. He, you, they use uppercase oh, yeah. and lowercase. Um, and I was like, wait, is that in every That's other comic true. book? It is all uppercase? And I started looking through my books, and every other comic book does uppercase lettering. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Colleen Doran also Weird. agreed with him and said... Really? Yes. She said ditto. Somebody said, you like all uppercase? And he said, in comics, yes, absolutely. I so, guess it's a stylistic thing for yeah. e- which one's easier to read. 
Well, yeah. if it's only the X titles, it, that would be some kind of editorial mandate, you would think. Somebody said, do it in this book, we're not the other. I was like that, weird. like in a Twilight Zone. I started like looking through <laughs> all my comics going, this can't be true. But every comic I looked through, uppercase for all the lettering, yeah. except for the X books. All right. be honest with you, it doesn't bother me. No, I didn't, it doesn't I didn't bother me. No. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, like, I'm with Mike. If it did bother me, I didn't even notice. Yeah. So Weird. It's kind of interesting, though, when you when it's called out and then you see it. It is. If you haven't taken notice of it, then it's almost like when I was younger and someone pointed out to me that every Stan Lee comic that he wrote, every sentence ends in exclamation points. Every yeah, single yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at first, when you read it, you don't you don't notice it. But then after someone points it out to you, it's the only thing you notice. Wow. You've been... Uh, he was excited. Yeah, he was always super excited. You've had a store for like 20-something years. I know we're not sure how many years, really. You're terrible at math, um, Ryan. You've already established this. <laughs> like, even now today, like, do you sell a lot so, of X-Men? I do. I do. Spider-Man's probably taking the lead. Okay. Because X-Men did go through that period where uh, there were no X-Books for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, And Marvel was really kind of downplaying mutants. Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's, it's in, in the industry, it's what you call an evergreen. X-Men books, are, they're all, they always sell. People are always looking for them. Yep. Um, well, and I think currently just the, the Krakoa storyline that Jonathan mm-hmm. Hickman began and right. Jerry Dugan at all are sort of Random. bringing to an end. I, that just has grabbed people's attention. It's such a good and interesting idea, you know, to sort of reframe the entire mutant you know, lying around that that situation. So it's a really good idea, and I think when it's a good idea, it just sells. Yes. Yep. And so, a, it was a good mix of classic characters and new X-Men characters. So um, hopefully, like Tom Brevoort has mm-hmm. said, hey, it's going to run its course. So hopefully that doesn't mean they're planning to cut it short, and they're still going to get to tell the story they wanted to tell. If they're going to do anything, it's not going to be cut it short. I, I can pretty much <laughs> Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> Uh, speaking of mutants and speaking of the Marvel movies, uh, what have you guys heard about Deadpool 3? Because I've heard some crazy stuff. The craziest one I heard is Taylor Swift maybe Dazzler. Well, is it getting a point where everybody's screaming in this movie, I guess? <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Well, I think if you have been in a Marvel property or even been rumored or associated with a Marvel property in some way, even if it's just kind of fan casting, they're sort of opening the door to... Uh, those characters appearing in short increments in the new uh, Deadpool, which of course isn't even shooting right now because of the strikes, but um, it's something to look forward to for sure. Yeah, it sounds like they're taking the multiverse concept like Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, and just not parroting it, but just mm-hmm. blowing it out to a ridiculous comedic level, yeah. which, which is a cool idea in a way if you could really get behind that. Yeah, and they also announced possibly who the big bad could be. Yeah, I think Bill um, had an interesting comment on this. Uh, Cassandra Nova, of all people. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. a deep cut even for a lot of comic fans. So it is, um, and it's it's kind of a, a hard character to explain. That's what I was talking about with your comment there. That's but yeah, a really tricky character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was, you know, in a way, she's Professor X's sister, right? Wasn't yeah. she like... Or um, twin, or... She, yeah, like she tries it, to kill him in, in the it, womb. With the umbilical cord, she tries yes. to strangle him around the neck. This is during the Grant Morrison. Yeah, this is. is very early. She yeah. was the first real villain in the Grant Morrison run, if yeah. I remember yes. correctly. Yeah. I don't mean to contradict you, yeah, yeah. but in, if I recall in the story, uh-huh. he felt that her presence was so evil, he tried to strangle her. Oh, he her. tried to kill oh. her. He's like, I, I got to okay. end this before this even I think you're happens. right. That's right. Okay. So, yeah. But yeah, yeah. She is so, evil. She's nasty. She is. And if you've read the books, uh, they, they definitely flesh her out as a character. Have you um, seen people coming in looking for that first appearance of her? Yet? So yeah, yeah. Ooh. I mean, but that's that's probably started even before the, the rumor. Okay. Um, 
Just because right now, first appearances in, are, are super hot in comics. Mm, mm. Okay. And who did you think would be a great Cassandra Nova? Oh. Yeah, well, I, was, I was saying if she hadn't already been established, yeah. and maybe it doesn't matter if they're just playing with the multiverse idea, but yeah. uh, had she not already been cast as the Ancient One, Tilda Swinton would be a great Tilda Cassandra Swinton. Nova. Yeah. would be great. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. If indeed that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And Marvel still has kept the release date. They've not changed the release date yet. So hopefully that means good things. And maybe we're going to get the strike over sooner than later. I did read today they're making progress, but who knows what that is. Yeah. But they've also, I mean, they've shot some of that. So post-production work can begin. They can start doing special effects for the scenes that they've already shot. That kind of. So it can, you know, it can. Work can continue on the yep. movie That's in the Hollywood post. Paul Lewis coming in, out in yeah. the post-production yeah. process. So they're behind, but they're not as behind as you might think. Yeah, because I think that yeah, they were able to shoot. They weren't able to ad lib. They had to do the script as written, word for word. Yeah, mm. but they were able to shoot during the when it was just the writers that were striking. So hopefully that that means that when the strike ends, that it, it'll be quick to theaters, right? Hopefully so. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's still set for next uh, summer into fall. I think. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I'm but, excited for yeah, it. Yeah, but Marvel, like, if this is, I mean, it's hard to say because this is the first X-Men movie being made under the Marvel Studios uh, right, right. Uh, brand, but uh, they all Marvel always does reshoots. Like they plan for reshoots even before the first round of photography is finished. Oh, really? So it's they always say, "Hey, we're going to do reshoots. Book out this amount of time on these dates." And sometimes they're just, you know, maybe a couple of weeks to clean some things up. Sometimes they are extensive. Like Endgame was extensive reshoots. It was really just photography part two. So then okay. um, sometimes they don't, they finish the first round and they don't even know how the movie is going to end sometimes. Wow. Right. right. And crazy. then they just come back and finish it. The Hawaii Act. Just come yeah, back and wow. finish it. I can imagine. I'm excited to see when we start getting more definitive answers on this stuff because like you said the casting is all over the place right now yep and it's all just rumors still it's just a maelstrom of chaos and rumors yeah for sure because Sandra Nova though deep cut it would be interesting I just don't see how you bring her out before Xavier and explain it with any kind of kind of like what in the world yeah we'll see yeah well you may have Xavier in the new Deadpool as well yeah that's true uh, he was in uh, Doctor Strange so who knows what shenanigans they're pulling Shenanigans, I tell you. Shenanigans. <laughs> I don't know how to segue here. Speaking of shenanigans. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Yeah. We did ask everybody, uh, hey, do you have any questions that you would like answered? Mm-hmm. And we got a lot of response to this. We probably won't go through it all tonight because it's right. a lot. It's a lot. And Michael in the start, hot seat. Michael start complaining that he's got to edit an episode. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Come on now. Dang. Yeah. Put us a big special intro for this and for this scene here oh yes sir yes come up with like a a, a song uh oh, maybe a video yeah <laughs> it's um, fantastic but answer uh some people have some some questions uh mainly uh for bill but if everybody wants to jump in with answers that's also fine too even um, me not you <laughs> um don't no. make me down make fun of you in front of our guest sorry, sorry. um all right so uh joe gad yeah, uh, he said, "What got you into comics? How was, and how was the decision made to pursue owning a comic store and foregoing a career in law?" Hmm. So, I'll take the second part first. Okay. <laughs> no, it, uh, 
I got it. I'll take the first part first. So I got it at comics. I as can a, see why you didn't become a lawyer. I got it at comics as a kid. I'll yeah. take that as a compliment. I got into comics as a kid because the short answer, my stepmother is from Bogota, Colombia. Really? Yes. Okay. And so she would try and learn English by reading. She loved those Harlequin romance novels that had the Fabio guy on the horse kind of. Yeah. And so she would go to um, these yard sales. Uh-huh. And she would find those books where people sometimes the covers had been ripped off, and at the time I didn't understand why. But she would buy like a bunch of those Harlequin romance novels at yeah. the yard sales. But she would also buy like all the other books they had, and then she would give me the other books, and she would keep the romance novels. So I would get a lot of comic books. I got a lot of World Almanacs. I got a lot of Ripley's Believe It or Not books. I got a lot of um, National Geographic's. Uh, there were some National Geographic's. <laughs> yeah. And then I got a lot of novels, a lot of this. So anything that was popular, like in the the seventies, that was a bestseller. Uh, yeah. Any of the the Robert Ludlum, the Iger Sanction, the Bourne Ultimatum. Um, I skipped the westerns. Okay. But so long story short, I re- I got into a lot of comic books um, through yard sales, and then I just kind of I was a voracious reader. Yeah. So I would read anything she put in front of me, and then the comic oh, books really voracious. <laughs> the comic oh. books really took hold. So, and then the, to fast forward to the store, uh, I moved to Knoxville in 93, 93, and then I graduated law school in 96, and then I took the bar that, let me see, it would have Did been, the, it it would have been the summer after graduation. So, I, I was waiting for a bar review, uh, for bar results, and... Uh, my buddy John, who I would do comic book shows with locally here in town, he, he said, hey, how, do, how about we open up a store? And um, I thought, it's not a bad idea because I got, you know, um, I got to wait on the, well, actually, I'll take that back. So I found out that I didn't pass the bar. Oh. Correct. Oh. Yeah. So, well, my mom, my mom gave me money for bar review, and I, I, didn't, I didn't go to bar review. I spent, the, I spent the summer playing Frisbee golf. That being said, I used to ace my standardized tests. So I thought, I don't, need to, I don't need to go to Barview because my whole life I always did very well in standardized testing. And so, so I, you'd have no test anxiety? Very little. Okay. And Ooh. so I took the 1500 and, and kind of had, had fun with that that summer. Yeah. Um, I think me and some friends of mine, we rented a Chrysler LeBaron and drove cross country from that, the Pacific so Ocean. The money that she gave you is what you used for the road trip? Partly, yes. Awesome. Yes. Okay. I think I've seen this movie. And, yeah. um, but anyway, long story short, so I didn't pass, and so I have to wait six months to take it again, right? Yeah. So in the six-month interim, I was like, well, why not do something and uh, make some money? And so John came to me and said, hey, why don't we open up the comic book store? And I'd always wanted to uh, have my own business. So my if if I did go if I had practice law, I was going to hang my own shingle. I was going to have like my own. Uh, I enjoy working for myself more so than working for other people. Okay. So I was like I was I was already kind of entrepreneurial in spirit. So Would I was you like, have been sure. like Aaron Brockovic? Would you have been into those kind of cases? Yeah, most of those cases don't pay. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the, it's 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 very rare to get a case like that. But but so no. you never took the bar again. So, so what ended up happening, correct, is that um, we got the store up and running, and then uh, any any store, any kind of a small business, if you're gonna, it's gonna be have a chance for success, you have to dedicate some time and some hour and some effort. And so I started spending a lot of time with the store, and the store started doing pretty well. And so at that point, I was like, well, uh, I might as well just take a chance on this and see what happens. I can wait and take the bar a year from now. They offer it twice a year. Yeah. And so once this started to take off and 
then the bar became, I was like, ah, do I really want to do this? Or So I, I chose, and, and don't get me wrong, there's t- sometimes I, I kind of, I'll watch like a, a Few Good Men, <laughs> and you know, or you see something like uh, 12 Angry Men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, you know, yeah. this would be awesome. You know, you could do a little Better Call Saul office back here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Uh, sometimes I get some customers that ask me some legal questions. Yeah. So that's a good question, but I'm glad I chose this path. How did she accept that? Like that? Oh, good you, question. That you didn't. That you took the fifteen hundred dollars and spent on a road trip. Oh, my mom. And then decide. Yeah, and then decided. So, hey, I'm not going to become a lawyer now. So she doesn't listen to this show. podcast. I don't think she knows. Okay. I don't think I ever told her. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. No, no. I, and, okay. Um, but for the longest time, she she would just ask me. She was like, "How's the uh, how's the comic book thing going?" <laughs> you know, she wouldn't really kind of accept that it was like a business or a store. Yeah. She would just kind of refer to it as the comic book thing. And um, but now I think uh, after twenty four years, I think she finally is accepting. All right, uh, that's awesome. Thanks for the question, Joe. Mm-hmm. Bobby Chamberlain. Yeah, Bobby. Um, yeah, he was like, Bobby. what is the holy grail of comics do you wish would come in the shop that never has? Ooh. That never has. Wow. Yeah. Which so, is crazy because 20-something years, you've mm-hmm. seen basically everything. I've seen a lot of books. Yeah. So probably, if I'm just picking one for me personally, it would probably be a Captain America number one from um, Timely Comics. Huh. So like the early 1930s uh, so, Captain America. Right? So yeah, I think it may have been four, early 40s okay. when it started. Yeah. Uh, 1940, wow. 41. But yeah, just because I like the historical context of the comic, it's kind of cool. Um, I think the first issue is Cap punching Hitler. Oh, is that oh, the... Yes, it is. Cap yeah. Bush? Okay, nice. so yeah, 1940s, um, yeah. I've never seen it come through a store. It's incredibly rare. Have you ever seen it in person? Uh, so I've seen it in person in the sense that I've been at a show and I've seen it in a dealer, dealer's case, like oh. in their booth. Like, right. like wow. Yeah, but I've never held one in my hand or... Okay. So that's a very rare comic. It sounds like you're so. The same it rare. is now. I could also pick an Action Comics number one or a, a Detective Twenty Eight because neither of those have come in the store either. I've wow. held that Action um, Comics number one. See, that's I'm envious of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but for me personally, the cap has a little more. Like I said, the I just kind of like the World War Two aspect of it. Yeah, no, yeah. cool. What you, is there any Holy Grails for you, Paul, in the comics? Uh, it's always Amazing Fantasy fifteen for me. Same. Yeah. And there's been two times for. Amazing Fantasy 15 is coming to the store that I know of that Bill has tried to get me to come down. Yes. The one time that killed me was the day that Spider-Man came out on PlayStation 4, the mm. first Spider-Man. Excellent game. I got it, and I went to a movie, and while I was in the movie, Bill called. Oh. And when I got out of the movie, I got the message, and I called Bill back, and it was already gone. Wow. Uh, what about you, Mike? Any Holy Grails for you? Oh, wow. That's a good question for me. I've not really put a great deal of thought into super old stuff. You know what? Mm-hmm. TMNT number one, Mirage that's Comics. That that would be something that would now be amazing to have. Now, would you do teen, teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle number one, or was it Gobbledygook uh, number one or two that had the actual first appearance? That's a pretty pretty deep cut. I think you're right. Um, good job. But yeah. uh, I, w- I would actually go with the first I issue. I didn't even look that up. Yeah, <laughs> the first issue is more iconic. Yeah. yeah. There are only, what, 3,000 of that first print? 3,000 of the, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I think I have a third or a fourth print. That was nice. when I caught on to it. Wow. Yeah. I think I have a first print four. And that's when I started getting first prints. But wow. and I think five or six yeah, it actually um, moved from like a magazine size to a more traditional comic. It book did. Size. <laughs> and uh, me personally, I wouldn't mind uh, having that giant size X Men number one. That that's so iconic. Uh, that, that would be amazing. To have. I know first... God, you've seen one here. So oh yeah, and it's the first appearance of so many characters. So mm-hmm. you had that out at uh, Free Comic Day, didn't you? I think I sold one. Oh no, I sold one at um, last year's Fanboy. I think. Was oh, did you? Had, yeah. Okay. 
is it starting to go out like as far as click going up there in price now or is it still kind of relatively affordable no, it's it's gotten to where it's 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 a good copy is thousands of dollars. Thousands I mean, of dollars. That yeah, specific you're, team. You're probably yeah. looking yeah. at like at least a couple thousand for uh, like a, a 4.0. Really? Um, only because you know you get the first appearance of Colossus, first appearance of Storm, first appearance of Nightcrawler, first appearance of um, Thunderbird, um, second or third appearance of Wolverine. Is it the first appearance of Krakoa? The first. Uh, oh. I think it might be because the new team was sent to rescue the old team I think that was maybe captured right. on Krakoa. Yeah, yeah. that could be. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I've never. I'm heard, killing it tonight, guys. I've never heard it referred to as such, but Krakoa has become such a big player now. After yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Brian Folden asked a lot of questions. We're going to ignore the Vanilla Sky He's one. obsessed with that Vanilla Sky movie. It's such a bad movie. And I can't remember how. I said something about Tom Cruise movies. I said how they're all good except for Vanilla Sky. Yeah. And ever since then, he's uh, he's tried to convince me. Like, he'll come in the store and spend an hour and a half in here telling me about how Cameron Crowe killed it on Vanilla Sky and how Tom Cruise yeah. is so good in Vanilla Sky. He says this weird thing. You wouldn't know how great Mission Impossible is without Vanilla Sky. <laughs> what does that mean? So he told me, because I asked him about that. I said, is that some kind of threat, Brian? And he goes, uh, it feels like a threat. He goes, no. He goes, uh, he goes, I'm just trying to say you can't have the sweet without the sour. What? Yeah, I don't know. So I, it's like he was almost acknowledging that Vanilla Sky is so bad that that's what makes Mission Impossible look so good. Yeah. I saw it was Vanilla, the weirdest argument. Yeah. I saw Vanilla Sky on a plane, walked out. <laughs> grabbed the parachute and jumped out. <laughs> I think I saw a free screening of Vanilla Sky and still didn't care for it. Like, oh. I didn't even pay for it. And <laughs> yeah, that's and I, love, and I love Cameron Crowe. So right now, Brian like, Folden's listening to this episode. He's turned that truck around and came back this way. Um, he did have one good question here. He had a lot, but this is one that's not <laughs> Vanilla Sky related. What advice would you give to a new collector? Oh, there you go. So that's, that is a question that I get a lot. My main piece of advice that I give is that, because they'll generally ask, like, what should I buy? Is kind of the first question that you get. And so I generally tell them, I'll, I'll steer them in a direction first. I, I'll kind of see if they enjoy superhero comics, non-superhero comics, indie comics, teen books, in, uh, solo books. That being said, my final piece of advice to them before they leave the store is, you know, always buy something that you enjoy reading. Or you enjoy collecting. Because the problem that a lot of new collectors get into is that they start buying stuff for speculative value. Uh, right, right. Or buying stuff thinking that, you know, I can trade it later on. And that kind of situation is very precarious because if you're wrong, now you have something that not only didn't go up in value, but you don't even care a lick about. Mm. You know, you may not even want to read it. So yeah. if you're always buying something that you enjoy reading or you enjoy collecting then the secondary value is just that. It's secondary, right? The primary thing is that you enjoyed the story, you enjoyed the characters, you enjoyed the book, uh, whatever it is, just as long as you get some enjoyment out of it. Um, because there's so many books out there, uh, phenomenal books, uh, great writers and great artists that you can find something out there generally that is going to appeal to you. Um, so don't just call it, get caught up into buying stuff that you think is going to go up in value. Yeah, because I think yeah. that happens a lot nowadays where people are trying to get... Uh, oh, Marvel's about to introduce this character into they the do. shows. And then, and then they think, oh, this is going to become big. Right. And it may not. Something happens. They recast. or, But yeah, yeah that's, and, and it's sad because a lot of new people in the hobby, they immediately exit the hobby because they get burned on a book. Some, right. some store told them, hey, if you buy 10 copies of this, two months from now, this is going to be a $50 book. 
and uh, and I after mean, that's the nineties. That was yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happened. Now that leads to my question: Is the speculative mindset for people buying to resell? Did that really exist on a mainstream level before the nineties at all? Like in the eighties, seventies, was that something that people that didn't have shops even think about? So, and it's weird because I'll buy collections, and I can see there's like a line of demarcation where some point in the late eighties. I start seeing stuff in doubles and triples. Ah. So I'll buy a collection and it'll be a, a guy's books from like the 60s and 70s. Nobody pretty much bought doubles. Mm. Every now and then, maybe you loaned a, a book to your friend and he jacked it up and you're like, you know, screw you, Tommy. I'm getting another copy. <laughs> and so you buy, you'd buy second because Tommy messed your copy up. Yeah. But for the most part, it was unheard of to buy stuff in doubles. That's why... Like, I've always had this weird fantasy about if I had a time machine going back in time and buying all these action number ones and Captain America number ones. And so for years, I would plot out this scheme. <laughs> and I had this idea about how I'd have to get money that was from like the 20s and 30s, yes, right? Yeah. I couldn't just go back with money right. from today. No. And then I would have to find a way to, to leave it for myself. Because you've got to uh, have it age. It's, you can't bring it back in the time machine with you because then people are like, this is fake because this is too... Well... Yeah, it's got no age on it. But the thing I would worry about is that if I go to a newsstand in 1938 and I say, give me those 30 copies of Action Comics number one, that was so unheard of for someone to do. My cover story was that I was going to be an elementary school teacher. Uh, yeah, Mr. Crabtree, <laughs> yeah. because of Mrs. Crabtree from Blue Rascals. I was going to be Mr. Yeah, Crabtree. Yeah. And I was going to say I had a, 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 a precocious class of youngsters that had all like aced their exams and I was giving them a prize. But you'd have to say, I have a precocious class of youngsters. <laughs> yeah, son. <laughs> We're going to teach the kids how to read. I thought about that for wasted way too many hours. <laughs> no, it's good that you did. I think, too, for uh, collectors, just make sure you don't spend outside your means, right? Like a lot of people, mm, yeah, especially yeah. if they're thinking, hey, this is going to be worth some money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Um, and there's what a lot of collectors don't realize is there's always new books coming out. So they'll come in and they'll start off with a subscription. And let's say it's like 10 titles. And there's 10 titles they always want to get. They always want to get Detective and Spider-Man. Well, next month, there's this giant um, new uh, book called Batman Gargoyles. And they're already getting Batman, so they add Batman Gargoyles. And the next month after that, there's an X-Men little miniseries about uh, Astonishing Iceman. And they're getting the yeah. X-Men book, so they pick up the Astonishing Iceman. Yep. And before they know it, they turn around, and that 10-issue that subscription has gone to 20 issues really fast. I feel like you're talking to me personally right now. Yeah. <laughs> or, there's, or there's a crossover. It's, oh, I want to get all the yeah, books yeah, on yeah. the crossover. Right. I mean, and, yeah. and then to say nothing of variant covers, in which case the companies are doing your wallets no favors. Yeah. Yes. It can get pricey. Yeah. 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 Let's come back. Because the great thing is we have so many questions out there. Uh, so if you ask a question, you've not heard it yet, uh, keep listening because we're going to use these. And we love the getting the questions. Yeah, we yes. love questions. We love, yeah. And we're not going to lose the questions like we did the last time. We promise. <laughs> Um, this is from Scott Parton. He said, in your own personal collection, what has the most sentimental value with the lowest monetary worth? Huh. Okay, so hmm. this is the thing about my personal collection, and this is going to sound weird to a lot of people, but my the store kind of is my personal collection. Yeah. So I have a few books that are more investment books, I guess, but when, um, when I open the store... My girlfriend at the time, my wife now, she, uh, yeah, she. Oh, um, look, Bill's got a wife. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was kind of a, at the end of her rope because, our we lived in a two bedroom apartment and I had so many comics and I was buying comics constantly 
that the, we were getting just swamped with comics. Okay. And she come, she would come home and the end tables to the bedroom set would be gone and I would, repla- <laughs> I would replace them with short boxes and I'll stack two by two by two and I'll yeah, take a yeah, piece yeah. of plywood on top. And, yeah. I don't see a problem with that. And so, yeah, uh, it, was pr- it was practical. It was very, very uh, feng shui. <laughs> and, but, so when I told her I was going to open the store, she said, and I didn't tell her, but I, I kind of asked with her. I asked her, I should say. I, we we kind of talked it over. But the agreement was once the stuff com- goes out of the, the apartment, it doesn't come back. Mm. And so I, I, I kind of held to that. And plus, when I opened, I was—I didn't have a lot of capital. So if I bought something, it's not like I just sit on the collection. I had to sell it and try to yeah. make the money back. So I didn't get a chance to keep a lot of stuff. Um, but the way I view it is, I got, I've gotten to own a lot of stuff because I've had so much stuff come through the store. And granted, I've, I've had to sell it. I don't get to own it forever. But I've owned a lot more stuff this way than I would have as a private collector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had a lot of stuff that's very sentimental to me. So if I'm just picking a couple, a couple things... Um, House of Secrets '92 came out the year I was born. Swamp Thing's one of my favorite characters. I love Bernie Wrightson. It's a guy, he did the cover. Yeah, I've always had a, a, a fond spot for that book. Um, X Men number one and Giant Size number one because X Men's my favorite comic of all time. I've owned um, I've owned some really rare books in the sense that they they're not incredibly valuable, but you don't see a lot. Uh, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I like the weird stuff from the 70s. Like, I've had Marvel bullpen calendars from, like, 74, huh. 76, uh, stuff like that. And cool. the stuff they give out for Foom. I've had a lot of the, the Foom really? magazines. Uh, yeah, the, the you had like some Friends no of Old Marvel. There at one point, like an envelope of no prizes over there. Yeah, yeah, I had the envelope that they would mail you your no prize in. <laughs> so that kind of stuff I enjoy seeing because I don't see it that much. And it's not incredibly valuable stuff, you know, the the... Little mighty Marvel Marching Society membership cards yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, but uh, but I do enjoy seeing that a lot. Nice. Yeah. Uh, let's ask the same question to you, Paul. Yeah, well, actually, I was able to find the books in the store. Uh, nice. I lo- there were books I bought before. I remember having like a copy of Action Comics and a copy of Detective Comics, but I had a copy of Amazing Spider Man 163, which I never would have been able to tell you the number because it was coverless. Oh, uh, when you got so, it, it was already coverless. No, no, I, I just read, read the cover, the cover off. off of it. Yeah. But I was, yeah, yeah, awesome. but then, but the book that like I reread constantly that kept its cover, Amazing Spider-Man one sixty six. Oh, uh, yeah. the lizard and the uh, barely used villain Stegron. Stegron. To, if you if if this were your first book, you'd be convinced Stegron is the greatest villain in <laughs> the Marvel universe. But uh, yeah, so you know and. You know they're they're old amazing Spider-Man, so that they do have value, right? But they're not any considered keys by any stretch of the imagination, and those were the books for me. Nice, <laughs> Mike. Uh, you know, there's a few things here and there that I've that I've got that I've got fond memories of that ended up not being worth that much. I think those image number ones that's something that's yeah. very nostalgic and cool. <laughs> yeah. that I like to have. They ended up really not even Spawn probably isn't really even worth that much. Twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, crazy to think mm-hmm. about. Uh, there's a little indie comic that came out a few years ago called Tokyo Ghost. I don't know that it really got much renown. Um, that's where speaking of Rick Remender, Rick Remender, yeah. and uh, the artist that's currently doing the alternate Batman stuff, White um, Knight, Sean Gordon Murphy, Sean Murphy, mm-hmm. man, that guy. That's where I fell in love with him. He's awesome. He's so a, I just, I just yeah. love this Tokyo Go series. Probably not worth much, but uh, I'd, I'd definitely like to throw that one in there. Yeah, I guess for me, like uh, recently, it would be stuff like the Scotty Young covers. Uh, oh yeah, I just love yeah. Scotty Young covers. I always get a call from Ryan about when there's a new Scotty Young cover, especially a Spider Man. Um, there was one time where. He was shorted on the Scotty Young covers, right. and I couldn't get it. 
And he had to walk me through the five stages. <laughs> yeah, we did through it through the. Yeah. And um, I just hope that if uh, if Scotty Young ever does a Spider Ham cover, that I have enough for Ryan. Because <laughs> that'll be that's like mixing peanut butter and chocolate for Shipley. Mm. Yeah. If if you if I come in and that one is sold out, so he's never done a Spider Ham cover, has he? I don't think he has. I don't think he has. I think he's had Spider Ham on one of his covers that's had all the Spider Man in the background. Yes. But I think you're right. Yeah. But yeah, those are some great questions. Absolutely. Now my come up with a closing song for Q&A as we close it up. Uh, We're closing the mail back up. Yeah, something with like an orchestra behind it, please. Yeah. All right. You got to make this all tonight. I'll do it. Um, So our friend Paul is here. Uh, Paul came in uh, a couple months ago Mm -hmm. and we did the uh, Best Amazing Spider-Man Artist. So we've already done the um, artist. Mm -hmm. And by the way, Paul was like Babe Ruth. He called his shot. He goes, I want to do Spider-Man. He did. And yes. he's the most, he's the expert. How much uh, Amazing Spider-Man, how, what did you run at right now continuously? Oh, goodness. Uh, I did miss some years, a, f- a few issues here and there when uh, I moved out west and had no money. <laughs> okay. But largely, uh, I, you know, I have most of them largely. I mean, anywhere from, gosh, in the 30s up probably. Wow. For the most part, I have Dang. All, all those issues. Wow. I'm woefully thin on you know, on Ditko uh, Stanley yeah, yeah, yeah. issues, but uh, you know, for the most part, like thirty. Wow. Now those 31, issues you 30, don't have thirty thirty one two or three up. copies of. Actually, I do have some early. Oh I, I think a couple of thirty ones. Um, you know, uh, if you want to get me something cool for my birthday, number thirty-three, <laughs> I'll he's take ar- a number thirty. He's already I'll, getting the first speedball. So. I'll I'll, uh, I'll Xerox that thirty-one for you and send uh, it right on your way. There you go. But uh, so we're gonna do top five Spider-Man writers. Uh, we'll just go in order, and then when we're done, we'll pick. Um, who wants to start us off? Uh, well, I will, and Smart uh, guest. yeah, yeah. Um, Stanley, but with a caveat. Oh, Stanley. Paired with Steve Ditko. Aha. Okay. Um, because that's, again, that's the foundation mm. uh, of the character. Nothing against John Romita Sr., who was a genius in his own way, but there was something uh, alchemical about the, the Stanley Steve Ditko team. And like if a, you. Like a Beatles esque scenario with kind of, McCartney. Just well, together. if you know, I mean, the term the Marvel method has probably been uttered on this podcast before, but. The way it worked, uh, and most of those early Marvel books worked, is a plot would be generated. And sometimes the plot was razor thin, uh, which Stan would say, hey, let's have this happen in the issue. And sometimes it was a lot, sometimes, again, razor thin. Then the artist would go draw the story, uh, and then Stan would dialogue it. Mm -hmm. So the longer Spider-Man ran, it is very clear that Ditko took a, a strong hand in what we can only term as writing uh, as the as the book progressed. Mm. So I can't see a way to remove those 30-something issues and a couple of annuals uh, that Ditko and, and Lee did together. I can't really divorce them as writers. You know, they're both co-authors, in my opinion. Yeah, you look at Stan Lee's run... How many classic characters came out of it, too? Ridiculous. Oh, I mean, so just, I mean, Paul's right. The first 38 issues are all Lee Ditko issues. Yep. And if you count out of the first 38, at least half, maybe more than half, introduced a brand new character from Sandman, Electro, Green Goblin, Craven, Scorpion, Doctor Doc Octopus, Doc Ock, Vulture. 
the, the work output is, is remarkable, but the quality of the, the characters. And, and it, it's, it's insane because some of those characters, like you look at a character like the Vulture, and you're just like, this character really has no right to be successful. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the look of it was kind of weird, and it was very Dicko-esque. And, um, uh, or even somebody like Dr. Octopus, if you just kind of... Uh, yeah, if, if, you know, it's just a guy with metal arms, and he's wearing a lab coat, and he's got the big chunky glasses, and just visually, just kind of an odd villain. Didn't not visually intimidating, you know, like some yeah. of the, but yeah. but yeah, Paul's, yeah, I mean, Paul's and Stan wrote, you know, was credited for writing more than a hundred issues of amazing, and there's wow. nothing wrong. But once John Romita took over, the tone of the book changed a lot, and it the, did. Peter was now one of the gang instead of being like and, and you know and misunderstood loner. And if you also notice, and I'm not holding this against John Romita Senior because he is my, probably my favorite Spider-Man artist, but um, the characters, the new characters, all of a sudden stopped. But yeah. yeah, for some reason, it just seems like the the Dicko period. There are a lot of new, and now who knows? Maybe Stan was going to him and say, "Okay, this issue, Spider-Man stops a bank robbery done by a giant guy with a shoots electricity." Um, hmm. you know, and, and, and which that's issue nine, that's the story of issue nine. And so it, it it's hard to say who created, but there just seems to be a, a precipitous drop in brand new characters once Romita uh, Sr. came on as artist. I'm going to, one of two of the 80s that I, uh, writers that I think need to be on here, uh, Roger Stern. Nice. Oh, nice. yeah. Yep. Because he was there for uh, my favorite villain, Hobgoblin. Yeah, and he also Goblin. did, I think, what's considered one of the best stories, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. That's one that, surprisingly, if you talk to a lot of Spider-Man fans, they're very fond of that story. And yeah. I guess because a lot of readers kind of saw themselves as the kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, but Roger Stern, I think... You no, know, I mean, his run was not the longest on Spider-Man, but yeah. the quality of his run is insanely good. Uh, yeah. All the Hobgoblin stuff, which, so in good. my opinion, was the best group of stories since the early days of Spider-Man. And then when you put Kid Who Collected Spider-Man on the top of that, I think Stern is... is. I know, the Stern, the whole, the, all the Hobgoblin stuff, yeah, key stuff. Uh, Mike? McLaney. Okay. I'm just going uh, to yeah. take that yeah. right on through. I mean, this guy wrote over McFarlane, Larson, Bagley, like what a run in the 90s yeah. that he had there. It was uh, in the late 80s as well, obviously. But uh, whether or not it's some of your favorite stuff from the Spider-Man stuff, just that era was so important to everyone. And, it, you know, it did feel fresh. I think the, the McFarlane's art went very well with McElhaney's writing. They just, they were a good pair and uh, very iconic to me. So I'm, I'd, I'd like to see him on the list. And helped create some of the... Iconic characters of Spider-Man villains. Villain? I mean, like now, villain, like Venom, Carnage. Carnage yeah. Um, I'm going to say for me, I'm going to start with, uh, which Roger Stern was probably my first choice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with probably Jerry Conway. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah. And this is the thing. He's so, it's tough to follow a legend on a book, right? Yeah. So how do you follow Stan Lee on Spider-Man? I mean, it's got to be daunting. Now keep that in mind. Now let's throw in the fact that you're 19 years old and you're, mm -hmm. you're Jerry Conway and you get Spider-Man. Um, so that's going to be, that's, that's two, that's two huge things going against you right there. And, um, the fact that, you know, he, he, he's kind of credited, I guess, with like the end of the silver age of Spider-Man. So he kills Gwen Stacy. Yep. He turns, um, uh, J. Jonah's son into man wolf. Um, you know, he, uh, the pun, he introduces the Punisher. Mm, um, right. he, uh, the Jackal, I think, you know, he does the Jackal story, you know, yeah. uh, so is it, that a positive or a negative? Well, <laughs> at the time, people liked the the, the jackal ja story, yeah. but then it, it, jackal it, had a cool look. 
Jackal had a cool look. Yeah. And, but yet, to your point, his mm-hmm. run had its own vibe to it. It, had, it, it did. felt a certain way. Uh, he, uh, up until that point, it seems like all the Spider-Man stories had happy endings. Mm-hmm. And then when Conway came on, it seems like you would start having Spider-Man stories that didn't have happy endings. And like I said, he was kind of considered like a, a child prodigy at the time for, for doing Spider-Man at such a young age. But, but yeah, I'm going to say, I'm definitely going to put Jerry Conway in there. Yep. I mean, out of five, those four, that, that could be four of the list. I mean, that's an awesome four right yeah, there. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, um, I, I think there's another name you have to mention. Um, as I was go- going through writers and everything, I was thinking, okay, who wrote Amazing? Who wrote uh, Spectacular? Mm-hmm. Who wrote Web of Spider-Man? Who wrote Marvel Team-Up? Yep. And I completely forgot about the ultimate line. And then when I realized yeah. Brian Bendis. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, I you know the 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 amount of work that he did on Spider-Man, the way he made Spider-Man, uh, you know, uh, for a new new generation in a way that John Byrne's Spider-Man Chapter One did not succeed in doing. <laughs> That's great comparison. Uh, yeah. Then uh, and and to say nothing of the creation of Miles Morales, mm-hmm. uh, I think you really have to consider Bendis uh, on a list of Spider-Man writers. Oh Absolutely. yeah, no, so quality and like you say, it, it really touched and affected a lot of people. It really brought a lot of people into mm-hmm. Spider-Man the way it did for us when we were younger, for sure. I think he gets Spider-Man. Yes. Like yes. of all the characters he's done. Yeah, that's yeah. why I'm hoping he comes back to Marvel before the end of his career mm-hmm. and gets back on a Spider-Man or a Daredevil. Because yeah. those seem like the yeah. characters that he was made to write. Yeah, and especially Daredevil because Bendis comes from writing that kind of crime, uh, grim and gritty type stuff. Yeah. and Which is surprising that, that he did so well in Ultimate Spider-Man. Well, I think so because Spider-Man works better when he's fighting street level villains absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and yeah not all the cosmic stuff and i think that's what bendis does well is the street level stuff i never understood why spider-man was there anyway in those cosmic so like when it's yeah. secret wars like, yeah why, why spy you know what i'm saying and, and don't get me wrong i love Spider-Man. oh it's because of sales but yeah it's yeah. because they wanted young ryan to uh, buy the book well spidey you know those situations i think can also be like what's the term when you're uh-huh. the representative of the audience oh He's the yeah. everyman yeah. the everyman yeah yeah, yeah. Mine is J.M. DeMetti's. J.M. Oh, DeMetti's. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mostly nice. I loved his run on Spectacular that was going on while uh, Michelin and uh, McFarlane were on Amazing. Mm-hmm. But he wrote one of the best Spider-Man stories yeah, of all time. Death of Craven. Craven's Last, Last Hunt. Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you talk about Spider-Man stories that stayed with me. I don't know what it was. I was probably what, 12, 13 when I read that. Yeah. Um, it, it really hit me. It was, it was dark awesome. at the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was rare yeah. for the, that time period. Yeah. And it had the curious nature of it. Uh, went through all the books at once. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, yeah. It was an amazing, spectacular, and web. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was six issues, but it you got all those six issues within two months. So it's almost like point. coming back mm-hmm. to the store, you know, the next week. And uh, next where's installment. yeah, where's where's Craven's last time part and four? It, it really sticks with you because yep. Spider-Man is not usually like a sad, hard book. No, no. And no. that book, and I think that's another reason why I was so glad at the time that Peter and MJ were together right? because the scene where Peter crawls out of the grave and goes back uh, to brutal to Mary Jane yeah. is an important part of that story. Oh yeah. 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 
And one of the most useless villains ever, Vermin, made you feel so sympathetic for that character. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, poor guy. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah Demetrius used Vermin quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Also in Captain America, I believe, when he was oh, writing yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, Demetrius also had the significant run on Spectacular Spider-Man. Such a good run. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, under underappreciated, in yep. my opinion. With And I think the entire thing was done by Sal Buscema. Uh, and he also did, underrated artist too. Yeah, he also did a, a significant run on Marvel Team Up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, he's he got he has the Spider-Man bona fides. He's he's actually on my list as well. Yeah. 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 Um, any other ones, Mike? That you well, have? you stole my Demetrius vote, so I'm I'm going to throw out some little controversial. I'm not necessarily saying he should 100 percent be on the list, but I'm not saying Zeb Wells. Uh, it's Zeb Wells. You guessed no! it. No, it's not. There it's, we go. It's not Zeb Wells, but it's somebody that I think could. Some people might also consider a little controversial, but I, I think he's worth mentioning. It's Dan Slott. He's written yeah. more issues that's of Spider-Man that, than any person. You have to bring him up based on true. bulk alone. And for consideration. Spider-Man was and awesome, people are yeah. coming around on spec on Superior because I remember when that first started, they didn't want to. People like hated Dan Slott for what he was doing. Uh, to like basically, uh, he kills Peter Parker in a way, and Doctor Octopus takes over Peter's potty, mm-hmm. and people were mad about. And that. they maintained that for a year. Yes, uh, for a year, uh, because you know it's not a story if he only does it for a couple of months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think to be a Peter Parker fan because he was dead in Ultimates, the oh Ultimate Universe, and then this. Yeah. But you know, I think you, you can tell uh, a story about a character in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways you can tell a story is by the absence of the character. Yep. Like what does this character mean because they're not there? Nice. And I think having a year of someone else being Spider-Man uh, really illustrated uh, how significant Peter Parker is as the character yeah. and why people love that character for, yeah, there, there's no more, uh, there's no person we use the man every man term every man earlier, but there's no hero in comics that more the audience can identify with more. I feel yeah, than, than and uh, Dan Slott, uh, Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah. What well, um, you Spider Verse and and Superior alone. I mean, I th- I'm I'm up and down on some of his run. Sure. Yeah. So sure. When you consider Spider Verse and you consider Superior, I yeah. think he has. But that I think he gets video. he gets Peter and Spider Man, mm-hmm. and he understands. You don't have to just have Peter's life be horrible all the time. Right, the right. story arc, a part of it, you know, he had the Horizon um, yeah. Labs deal, and he yeah, was he rich played a lot a more minute, into so. Peter's science because yes. a lot of people yes. uh, play him off as like just a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to make jokes here and there, but Peter Parker is one of the smartest people in, in the Marvel universe. universe. Yeah. He is, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? So I'm just going to throw out. Oh, and this is just for the, for conversation, just to round it out. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to throw out the name J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so, okay, uh, now, listen, and, and so what I'm going to say is, if I divide his run into into two segments, okay? So if I look at the first half of Straczynski's run, I get Coming Home, I get Ezekiel, Spider-Totem, I get Spider-Totem, I get The Other, and I get mm-hmm. the 9-11 issue, oh, yeah. um, which I thought was well done, even though Dr. Doom was crying. Um, but uh, I know Doctor Doom, who's basically terrorized New York for years. <laughs> I mean, he tried to kill the entire Earth. Yeah. Why would he care that New York City? But uh, but I, I digress. Yeah. Um, 
But now I will say the second half of his run. So Straczynski had a long run on Spider-Man. So just Very the first run. half of his yeah. run is, is a pretty healthy chunk. Yeah. The second half of the run, okay. It does go off the rails with the stuff with Gwen um, oh. and the and kid. And they just basically have forgotten about yeah. that, right? Sends yeah, well, they, they kind they, they of retconned it with the, in the end of the Spencer run. Right. Um, okay. But yeah, the the one more day um, was and not. One more day, I guess, was more editorial than probably. It, it probably one. was editorially yeah. driven uh, more so than than Straczynski. But uh, but just he did a, a, the sheer number of issues. He's he's a writer of renown. You know, it's the guy that did B five and um, about to do Captain America. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I'm just gonna say, and uh, he's probably not gonna be in my top five, but I yeah. think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the name. I think we have to mention him. Yeah. I, my problem with putting him in the top five is the back half of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't really care about the spider totem stuff. Okay, I really liked it. You know, one thing that I really remember sticking with me was that it's so hard to make a villain feel like a true lethal threat to a hero, and Moreland felt very yes. scary and lethal. I was yep. like, he's gonna kill him right now. Mm-hmm. Like it, he felt like a brutal villain. And it was kind of one of those situations that were, I mean, it was obvious, I guess it, it was on its face that he had a lot of animal villains, but it was one of those things for some reason, me as a kid, I'd never picked up yeah, on. Exactly. Uh, th- th- it was a lot of the animal kingdom, but... Um, and didn't he say, didn't he make some mention that the, all the green was from Envy because he, they really wanted to be real like him? Which kind of, yeah, yeah, which you, you could kind of see. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, like I said, probably not going to be in my top five, but let's just put him in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a couple other names I just want to throw out. Uh, Peter David did a heck <sighs> of a run on uh, Spectacular. Peter, on Spectacular. Yeah. Uh, he does the, the Sin Eater story, right? Yeah, and oh, he, the, wow. the death of Gene DeWolf, which yep. is actually yeah, one of my good, favorite yep. Spider-Man stories. Um, and, uh, you know, he's written the character significantly over a period of time, particularly that run on Spectacular, which was um, what I thought was fantastic. And also uh, kind of the the heart of um, the Marvel team-up run was the first significant um, uh, collaboration between Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And the Chris Claremont issues of Marvel team-up are fantastic hmm. really a lot of fun uh and he i think he wrote there was a multi-part story where um uh, uh peter finds uh black widow mm-hmm. and she has amnesia and they do this like i think it's six issues of where like she doesn't remember where she is and they do some like some romant romantic overtures and of course it's never going to work out because black widow right and, Spider-Man should never be a couple. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, but it's just, it was handled very well. And again, just, it was the right. first significant burn uh, Claremont collaboration in Marvel. And they were a dynamite team and the books are a whole lot of fun. And uh, even though he's probably not going to make the list, I I think that it should be mentioned. Yeah. yeah so that's about Peter David uh, Topical. He created Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara. And, uh, yeah. you know, obviously oh, big part of right. Spider-Verse now. So. Yeah. Um, two recent ones that I want to name. Okay. The first is um, Chip Zardowski. Okay. Um, his run was short. I think yeah. he did uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. But he has two of my favorite issues of all time. Uh-huh. The issue where Spider-Man reveals his identity to Jonah. Oh, the dinner with oh, Jonah yeah. Jameson. Yeah, that was a cool and moment. And the last issue he did, which was done kind of like a docu style, where it was talking to people mm-hmm. who were say who had their life saved by Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I was just talking about like what Spider-Man means to them. That's and cool. I think it's like one of the best written Spider-Man stories. And he also did the um, Life Story miniseries. 
Oh, oh set throughout the decades. Yeah. That yeah. was What's the too. idea being what if this character actually aged in real time? Yeah. <laughs> so and he's a teenager in the 60s. and That series will tug at your heart. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's quite a list. Yeah. yeah. Else, like, I have and there have been some other great <laughs> right, Len, Len Wine, uh, oh, yeah. Rose Marv Wolfman. Did we mention mm-hmm. uh, Tom DeFalco? Uh, oh, Tom DeFalco, Tom DeFalco did a needs great to yeah. run of Spider-Man. Like, um, particularly his early stuff with Ron Friends. Yes. Uh, he came back for the Clone Saga, but I think that was just because they needed a writer. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> the editorially mandated Clone Saga. <laughs> yes. um, but, but, yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's yeah. you know, Mark Wade has written some good Spider-Man. Yeah. Joe Kelly has written some good Nick Spider-Man. Spencer. Uh, Nick Spencer. Oh, yeah, Joe Spencer. Kelly. Yeah. I'll give a shout-out to uh, Joe Bill Mantlo, who, you know, created yeah. Cloak and Dagger and Spectacular. Yeah. Um, like it, it's it's really a, a wealth of people to consider here, and, and you know, so that's the thing is too is that Spider Man has always been kind of a Marvel A list property, so they do generally try and put even on the the, the secondary Spider Man books like Web of and Spectacular, they generally put good quality writers. Yeah, and uh, the only one that hasn't been mentioned that mm-hmm. they mentioned on our uh, uh, page here, Scott yeah. Parton mentioned Jim Owsley, aka Christopher Chris Priest. Priest. He said, you know the. Hobgoblin's identity reveal was botched and transitioned from Tom DeFalco, but he did great with the Spider-Man versus Wolverine and the underrated oh. Gang War. Oh, and then he adds, war, yeah. seriously, Daredevil in a fat suit, which <laughs> I have forgotten about, and I need to go back and look at yeah. this. Well, I think Owsley was the editor on the book at the time. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of kind like, of didn't like the direction, so he sort of took it over himself. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like yeah. sabotaged DeFalco's run with uh, the reveal of Ned Leeds as uh, Hobgoblin. Yeah. I just think there are many better names that wrote better stories above uh, Owsley. I think yeah. he was better on Black Panther anyway, right, Chris Priest? Yeah, a.k.a. Yeah, AK Christopher Priest, yeah. yeah. But yeah, but if we were talking recent, Nick Spencer would have been mine. Okay. Um, his 75 issues were great. Was, yeah. yeah. And Spencer he did a, had a really fun, uh, his Craven the Hunter, Hunter story where they gather all the animal villains yeah. and stick them in the central, uh, central Park and Spider-Man's got to fight his way through them. It was great. Fantastic. And it had beautiful Ron Ollie art through the... Oh, there so, you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we got to do the... Narrowing it down. Hard part to do the five. Well, I gotta t- I'll, I'll tell you my five. All right. Well, yeah. are we counting... First off, let me ask. Are we counting Stan Lee, Steve Dicko as one, or are we counting them as two? Nope. Oh. We'll count them as one. Sort of count them as one. Yeah. Okay. I think in this case, yes. Okay. All right. Uh, Bendis, uh, Demetrius... Roger Stern and uh, Dan Slott. And it, it, I don't like leaving Tom DeFalco off of that list. I don't like leaving uh, a couple of other guys off that list. But, but that's, my, uh, that's my five. I like that five, I think. That's good. So who do you see left off? David Michelini? Uh, uh, Stan Lee, Brian Bendis, uh, Dan Slott, J.M. DeMatteis, and Roger Stern. If you put Michelini on there, who would you take off? Because mm. Michelini is important. He is. He he also gets the benefit of working with Todd McFarlane, right? Yeah. That's yeah. a big benefit. So that's a huge benefit. Because I, I like that era of Spider. I mean, I've always enjoyed reading Spider Man, but yeah. I was Most picking people, that book because up of far more for the art Correct. than yeah, the yes, stories. Because yes. so Michelini has the problem of being with McFarlane, so he always gets overshadowed. I tend to recall those issues more for the art than the yep. stories. Like I, I do recall the stories. But it's more so what sticks with me are the, the covers and the striking covers and the, the interior art. Is he the longest run on Amazing? Uh, no, it's Slot. Yeah. Slot, okay. Yeah. Like, to me, like if, if we're talking Iron Man writers, yeah. David Michelini's yeah. on it, no doubt. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Spider Man. Four or five of David Michelini. But Spider Man writers? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm down not with quite those, there. Those five, actually. Do you have any. 
that you would put instead, Mike? I might like to see DeMatteis on the list just for the impact he had on me, but I don't mm-hmm. know that that impact is equal for everyone else. So I, it's a really strong five. I could I could be happy with that five. Yeah, I feel happy. I mean, the only one that I would probably – I, I do like Jerry Conway. but right. Conway um, is fantastic. I just don't know he, if he – the, the breadth of work may not be as as, as wide as some other yeah. people, but uh, but like I said, you know, there's a lot of things working against him. You know, he yeah. had to follow a, a legend on the book, yeah. but I'm not sure who I would take off to put Conway on. Yeah. Slot, I think I would have to put on. Uh, Lee and Dicko, I have to put on. Stern, I have to put on. Yeah. Who else do I have, Paul? Um, I'm uh, Slot Stern, Demetrius, Bendis, oh, and so, uh, uh, Lee Ditko. Okay, could so you I, take, I, you I take could make ben? an argument between Demetrius, Bendis, and Conway. I'd yeah. put Bendis on there because I, I do think Ultimate Spider-Man is a seminal Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. And again, um, again, impact it had on. People. And him, and, and that's the thing. Him and Bagley, I think they ended up breaking the Stanley Romita record, right? Uh, for, well, the Stanley uh, Kirby record on Fantastic Four. Oh, they even broke that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, because they did a hundred and. 20 episodes? They, they, they did. It, it, it went. It was shorter in time because a lot of Ultimate Spider-Mans came out twice yep. a month and FF. So chronologically, Lee and, and Kirby are longer on FF. Yeah. But issue-wise, they passed them. Yeah. And then Bendis stayed on until like 150 or so. 160? I think he uh, 160. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was still writing the character until he left for DC. Right. Uh, because you know, you can't switch to yeah getting a, a Cleveland boy the chance to write Superman he can't pass it up. Yeah. No, it's difficult. But Come back, it wasn't a good fit. Um, but I'm okay. I'm, I like the list, so, but I can see yeah. what you're saying. I mean, I, I would probably I I, I could probably inter- interchange uh, Michelini and uh, Jerry Conway, but I, I think other than that, I think the list is strong. I mean, I guess we could have a tie for fifth place if y'all want to. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, well, again, it's a wealth. I mean, okay. there's you so know, many. Yeah, we could come yeah. up with. We could remove two or three of those and like names. Like Paul said, and, we're leaving off Tom DeFalco, which kind of irks me a little yeah, bit. Peter, <laughs> again, no, I don't know who to take off. Well, to, well, yeah, Tom DeFalco's first run, and you know, and Peter David again. Peter, Peter David wrote yeah, a yeah. heck of a Spider-Man. But and, I would uh, say so. Let's do the top five. I think we're. I think that's locked in. So the top five, we have a tie for fifth place okay. with Jerry Conway and James, James DeMatteis. Okay. And then the top four, we have Dan Slott. Yep. Braun Michael Bendis. Yep. Um, Lee Ditko. Stanley and Steve Ditko. Roger Stern. And Roger, Roger Stern. Stern. Good list. Yeah. We did it, guys. And the, oh, and oh, there are so many good writers that like aren't we're leaving on that a lot list. Off. It's, it's, and I would yeah. say if you're listening to this and you want to get into some of these writers, mm-hmm. the great thing about Spider-Man, yeah. a lot of these are collected. Yes. Oh, yeah, all of them. Yeah, and some of them are, are like cheap collections too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some that are. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a grid list. Um, like I said, you could make some arguments, but I think most people, most Spider-Man fans, probably agree with this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough. There's so yeah. many. Yeah. All right, uh, book of the weeks. Book of the week. Uh, mine is going to be an X title, Dark X-Men. Ooh, it looks good. So dark. It's got a great cast. <laughs> dark uh, ride. Who's the, who's the cast? Madeline Pryor is, I guess, the leader of it. Goblin Queen. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's got Havoc is in it, and nice. Havoc is back to the old suit. I love the concentric circles with yep. the, yeah, the black and um, white. Uh, that, uh, I think Gambit the, is on the team. Yeah. Madeline Pryor, Havoc, Mad- yep. Archangel, Ooh. Gambit, you're right. Ha-ha. Azazel, haven't seen him in a oh, while. Uh, Zero, eh, Albert, mm, and Implet, who uh, we know from Generation X back in the day. Yeah, so it's a really cool... Uh, I don't know much about Stephen Fox, the uh, writer of this book. Yeah, me neither. Um, 
but yeah, but so far all the Fall of X stuff that I've read has been amazing. So I'm hoping this continues the trend. I didn't read Astonishing Iceman, but I've liked the other ones. It's good. You should okay. check it out. Yeah. A uh, little quote about this mm-hmm. book uh, from the writer. He says, this is X-Men by way of Evil Dead, and we're not leaving until we burn the whole place to the ground. So. Wow. Nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Evil Dead shot just up the road at Morristown. Morristown. Okay. And, and a little side note as well. All these Fall of X titles, like these side books, they're all just five-issue miniseries. So. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, Mike. I'm going to go with Ghost Rider 17 just because I liked Wolverine uh, and Ghost Rider team up last week so much. I didn't expect to. I was like, oh, this will be cool and fun. I don't think I've read any books where they've actually teamed up. Ended up really surprising me. Um, a little heartfelt action from flashbacks to the classic X-Men days. Right. You got some body horror from Ghost Rider. The writing's snappy. It's clever. The art matches it well. It just just feels like a good little crossover. Is it, uh, is it Johnny Blaze? Yes. Okay, nice. Nice. Yeah. What books is it crossing over into? Uh, Wolverine and Ghost Rider. Okay, and then they're having that spirit of Wolverine, uh, spirits of whatever it's called, the first one. Oh, the Alpha. It's just Ghost Rider Wolverine Alpha. Okay. Spirits of Vengeance. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, Bill. So my book of the week, I'm going to pick uh, a re-release that just came out this week, the DC's Absolute V for Vendetta. Ooh. Ooh. So what oh, wow. they did okay. was, so the Absolute Editions are kind of like oversized hardbacks. They come in these fancy slipcases. A lot of times there'll be some bonus material in the back, like some sketch pages or some script pages. But if you've never had a chance to to watch V for Vendetta or even see the movie, um, it's Alan Moore and David Lloyd, uh, all black and white. The Lloyd oh. pencil work is is yeah, fantastic. Is, is fantastic. Um, a little darker line. than the movie. Oh, really? Oh, actually, a lot darker, I should say. Okay. Like, so for instance, in the movie, um, what's her name? Nellie Portman's character, Evie. Uh, in the movie, she's a news reporter. In the book, she's a streetwalker, and it's her first night going out. Looking okay. for looking for um, customers, yeah. And these guys are going to rape her because she's a streetwalker. She's just a you know she doesn't matter you know, and so they figure they can get away with it. And then that's when she meets V in the book. So in the book, V kind of takes her under his wing, and and but um he also kind of tortures her in a way. It's it's kind of okay. a, it's a yeah. weird relationship. They touched on that in the movie a little. Yeah, they glossed over. It. Yeah. Um, but so if if you've never had a chance to read it, this is a, a great version of it. Uh, oversized, uh, really plays up the the, the artwork. Um, the Alan Moore story is is great. The ending's different from the movie, if I remember right. But yeah, yeah, just a it, it's a it's an opportunity for new fans to to find and an old, old classic. Like you said, are, are really well done. The presentation of the absolutes. Is, oh yeah, they're yeah. They, I mean they charge a lot for it. Like I think it's like a hundred bucks hey, or something. Hey, you get a twenty percent discount. That's right, a comics exchange seven yeah. days a week. <laughs> yeah. So it definitely come out. You could use that twenty six dollar gift if card if you're a file <laughs> if you're a file customer if you're a yes. folder customer. Correct. Yeah. But that twenty six dollar gift card you could get that it knocks for the price like, down to yeah like yeah. seventy four dollars. I don't know math. Remember. <laughs> um, so uh, now we'll do some recommendations. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, one of my favorite shows of the past few years, as I think it is for many people who have watched it, is Justified. Uh, and now there is a, a new wow, show on, so happy. on FX called Justified City Primeval. So good. Uh, it is not uh, the book it's based on was not originally a Raylan Gibbons story. So they've sort of altered it a bit to allow Raylan to be the uh, the protagonist. But it is based on an Elmore Leonard novel, and it's you know it, that character is a lot of fun. Uh, and I think it even you know he was a character who um, would sort of bait and maneuver people into situations where he could then use violence on them <laughs> uh, and, and have it be quote unquote justified. Nice. But um, I think it does a good bit with sort of playing against like uh, 
he still has this propensity, but also you see the way other people see that violence and how disconcerting it can be. Right. Uh, very specifically when it's someone he cares for and loves mm. uh, witnessing this. <sighs> and uh, so I think it, it recontextualizes that character in an interesting way. And particularly in, you know, the world we live in today where, you know, police violence is something that, you know, we really have to be thinking about right. to a point. But yeah, it's just, I, I do not think you have to have seen previous seasons because it's just a okay. really solid crime story. Good. Um, Did you have another recommendation? Well, yeah, I mean, staying staying with TV, uh, there's a show that if you've caught me in the shop and we start talking television that I recommend all the time, uh, and it can be found in its entirety, all four seasons on uh, what they now call Max, but mm-hmm. nobody, we all call HBO Max because <laughs> we don't care, a show called Banshee. Uh, Ryan has heard me talk about this often. Bill's... That's how we first, that's the first thing we ever talked about. Did y'all bond over Banshee? Uh, and it's... It's one of those shows that you just kind of have to go with the premise to a point. It's Mm. it's like it is tons of violence that really like action and violence that rival anything you'll see on 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 a big screen. And I mean, you know, and also be aware there's lots of sex and nudity. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just kind of podcast, just just being aware. But uh, it's 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 very pulpy. It's very fun. It's more well acted than the kind of material should have to be. The cast is led by Anthony Starr, who uh, plays Homelander on The Boys. Uh, It's kind of the the role that got him noticed. Uh, And if you do watch it. Watch through the credits because each episode has a stinger at the very end. Has, oh, really? Yeah, so you don't want to miss out on That's that. That's unusual for a TV uh, show. My friend Scott just decided to watch it this year. Yeah. And he just binged the whole thing in a couple of weeks. It's, wow. It's really good. My recommendation of the week is a show that's in its third and final season right now mm-hmm. on Hulu called Reservation Dogs. Oh, we were yeah. just talking about that, yeah. Yeah, Reservation Dogs. It's set on a res and follows four young people that are wanting to raise money up to move to California to mm-hmm. honor their friend who just passed away. It's really, really good. It, it's It's got a little bit of mysticism in it as well. That's really cool. It's got the young lady from um, Killers of the Flower Moon. I think so, yeah, yeah. Sophie something. Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, Ooh, Sophie something. Produced by Taki. <laughs> Taika Waititi. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's going into its third season. Easy watch, I think three seasons, 10 episodes a season. It's really good. Um, Mike. You know, there is a pilot episode that I've always adored. It never got picked up for a season. Uh, For the longest time, it was nearly impossible to find. You just had to have a busted VHS tape. Uh, Luckily, you can find this on YouTube now. Somebody's done an HD remaster of it, but it is Pride of the X-Men. Oh. It was a pilot for an X-Men series around the time that Spider-Man and his amazing friends was on. It predated the 90s series that was so big. And it's just, for that version of the X-Men, that team we were talking about earlier, the giant size team, it's perfect. It's the most perfect animation. It just summarizes everything so well in 22 minutes. It's got a great little theme song. Wolverine has an Australian accent, which is a little questionable. That's the only <laughs> questionable thing about the entire thing, though. I mean, Nightcrawler, Heartthelm, and Perfect Colossus. I mean, Does again, Wolverine say... That's not a knife, schnick. Nah, I think he does <laughs> a shrimp on the bobby, though. <laughs> well, so, I, I have not seen that, but I think oh, wow. You've got Kitty Pride is so much because when you saw the original X Men, uh, you know, movie, 
uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, Wolverine is your point of entry character mm-hmm. for that. Kitty Pride works so much better <laughs> as, as note, a point of entry character. In this episode, this is her coming to the X-Mansion for the first day. She's like 14. Oh, she good. shows up on the doorstep, doesn't yeah. know what to do. You know, the cab driver's like, this place is weird. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. You know, it's uh, <laughs> just, just great stuff. 22 minutes on YouTube. Pride of the X-Men. Uh, perfect version of that Claremont team. It's, it's great. That's awesome. Bill. So um, for me, me uh, personally, I'll, lately I've seen two movies. I took my youngest daughter to go see Barbie. I took my oldest daughter to go see Oppenheimer. I'm going to recommend both of them. Mm-hmm. However, Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. Oppenheimer was probably <laughs> the one I enjoyed slightly more. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them are fantastic films. But um, Oppenheimer, so if you're a fan of Chris Nolan films, I'll say this. It, to me, and this could, could be a good thing or a bad thing, it didn't feel as much like a Chris Nolan film as other Chris Nolan films. And that could, like I said, that could either be taken as a good or bad thing. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, the cast is packed. Like every time you turn around, you're like, oh, there's such and such. Or there's a, um, it's three hours long. It goes by in two hours and 20 minutes. Um, th- there's some, I mean, obviously it's not a perfect film. I could nitpick a few things. Like, you know, a lot of people are upset that he didn't film the Hiroshima scene or the Nagasaki scene. Uh, I think but it's that's, better that he didn't. Yeah, I think I think that you could argue that as a, a stylistic choice or a story choice. But um, but yeah, if you if you want to go see an interesting piece of American history, well acted, well written. Uh, I can't remember who the screenwriter he got for it was, but uh, Oppenheimer's great. Cillian Murphy, uh, phenomenal. I've always so from Twenty Eight Days Later onward, like I've always thought he was a great actor. Peaky Blinders. Uh, Peaky yeah. Blinders. Um, he seems to work a lot now with only Chris Nolan for some reason. Well, Chris but, Nolan yeah. casts them in everything. In everything. Like, even if it's just a small part. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's well worth your, your time and, and your money. Awesome. By all accounts, everyone is referring to it as a masterpiece. That's a word I keep seeing used with it all the time. I'd say I'd be very surprised if, if Cillian's not nominated for uh, Best Actor. Wow. Yeah, I think yeah. now it's the eighth highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Oh, wow. wow. Which number one is... I don't know. Look it up, Shipley. It's Deadpool. <laughs> Is it Deadpool? I think oh, that makes it was sense. at yeah. one point. I don't. I don't know if it ever got. I passed. was going to say Silence of the Lambs. That's not I, the Godfather. I think. Uh, I think Deadpool ended up. The I'm top ended up. Yeah, I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, but okay. uh, I've heard good things. And Barbie, of course, is a hell of a lot of fun. Heck yeah. of a lot of fun too. He- a heck of a lot of fun too. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys like? Uh, did you end up liking Barbie? It's it's better than it had any right to be, and I wasn't that familiar with Greta Gerwig because I'd never seen um, Lady Bird. Lady Bird, but uh, I was more familiar with it as an actress. But she uh, she did a phenomenal, but of all accounts, it was a phenomenal job. It entertains kids, it entertains uh, teenagers, and entertains adults. It works on all levels. Um, so Bill, you and I were both wrong. What's the top rated? So R- as of Greta? right now, is it Oppenheimer's up to seven? Oh, oh, really? Of all time, and the number one R rated movie of all time. Joker. Joker is the only one that's past uh, wow. a billion. Huh. Um, it's Joker, Deadpool 2, Deadpool, okay. The Matrix Reloaded. So Joker it, beat Deadpool. And something called Detective Chinatown 3 Detective. is number six that on this list. That sounds made up. Um, <laughs> then Oppenheimer, <laughs> Logan, The Passion of the Christ. Logan, yeah. And then The Passion Hangover Part Christ, 2 are the top ten. Okay. Yep. Yeah, speaking of Chinatown, I'd really like to watch that movie again. That's, that's always a good watch. <laughs> it's a phenomenal movie. <laughs> well... This episode has been informative. Yes. This yes. episode has been a giant-sized anniversary extravaganza. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Here, here. I think our second-time guest, Pretty Paul Lewis. Thanks for Thank you. Paul. No, yes. it's, it's cool. I, I love talking to Spider-Man. 
So yeah. yeah, and we already have you booked, hopefully for a third session. Oh wow! I hope so. I yeah. mean, uh, be the I'm first three timer. I'm not yeah. working right now, so. Uh, <laughs> which, which, ha- which has allowed me to uh, put some more effort into the movie that I'm uh, oh. making, which we talked about mm-hmm. last time. I'm still not ready to like publicly talk about it, but yeah. uh, it's coming along. Well, I'd like to thank all of our dear listeners for making this journey with us for this year, and I'd like to look forward to our next year doing this as well. Second year. Well, yeah, it's going to be fantastic, better than the first year. And uh, we're going to have a new anniversary uh, anniversary for the store itself coming up, right? So we do. So I I guess technically it'd be like this winter will be our 25th anniversary, but we're going to go ahead and uh, celebrate it uh, January of next year. Um, That makes more sense. 25 years in business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess coming up here in a month, this will be my second year in the new location. Yeah, around Labor nice. Day. So, We're probably yeah. going to talk about that like on the next episode. We have friend uh, Mike Horner coming on. Can't wait. Yeah, and so we'll, we're going to discuss like all that stuff, how it came to be that you ended up in a new store. <laughs> yeah, yeah awesome. it's going to be exciting. Technically, the, be, technically yeah. the third location. So technically, that's right, yeah. Paul, you're correct. So technically the third location. I had a, a, a small location for like He's a year. listened to the origins. Story. You never go to <laughs> never go to a third location. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, happy anniversary, everybody. Thanks. I'm Mike D. I'm Ryan. We'll get to your question next time, Rocky. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> Rocky. You know? I'm Bill, and we have our th- thank our guest uh, for showing up, Mr. Paul. Thank you, thank you. Hollywood. Hollywood. We'll see you in the funny books, everybody. Bye. Bye. See ya. Yo, it's the green machine. Gonna rock the town without being seen.